My name is Dr. Anne. This is WMPG, and this is Safe Space, a show that's devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This month, we'll be focusing on the subject of being gay, lesbian, or bisexual in Maine, somewhat inspired by the recent passage of the, the Bill to End Discrimination in Civil Marriage here in Maine. My guest is the Reverend Mike Johnson. We'll be talking about the subject of gays and lesbians and religion. Mike is the minister of the Allen Avenue Unitarian Universalist Church here in Portland. She's also the co-convener of the Religious Coalition for the Freedom to Marry in Maine. And she's an ordained lesbian minister and has been for the past 10 years. Welcome to Safe Space, Mike. Hi, Anne. Great to have you. I want to plunge right in and ask you, was there ever a time in your life when you believed that God was against being gay? When I was young, I grew up Catholic, and I never actually even heard, I'd never heard of being gay or right. lesbian, never heard of it Right. until I was in college. This was a ways back. And so I think that was a piece of it. You didn't even know it was an option. When I was growing up, you could either be a wife and mother or you could be a nun. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay. A wide range of choices. Right. But when I was in college, one of my best friends identified as homosexual, and he was tormented by it because mm. the Catholic Church teached that it was a sin or was a disorder. And I think that was the first time that my eyes opened to that this was a painful, painful issue for people. So um, so that's where it started. So yes, you know, it was. it seemed like... There was this thing, it was wrong, and yet here was a person who was very, very religious and tormented about being gay. Right. So for you, that was your first exposure to, I really care about this person. I know he's a good person, and I see his suffering. Right. Yeah. And so did it initiate a process for you of questioning what you'd been taught about it, or had you really not even been taught about it? I hadn't been taught about it. Uh-huh, but you you knew, you said you, a minute ago, you knew it was wrong, so was there some way? I must have been taught about it in some way. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, sort of like yeah. this unconscious subtle messages. I mean, I think just the fact that you never heard about it is a form of teaching. Exactly. Some kind of censorship. Right. Yeah, so, and did he, did you watch him make peace with it? He did not make peace with it during that time. Eventually he did. Uh-huh. But it was something that, you know, so all through college, really was just this backdrop of an issue. Yeah, it's a powerful way to be introduced to something. And so then where where, where did you go from there? Um, It never occurred to me that I might be lesbian, even then, Mm -hmm. even though um, my best friend and I loved each other dearly. Mm. We weren't sexual with each other, but we were like a little couple (laughs) in everything that we did. Like inseparable best friends. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I got involved with a man, loved him very much, and was one of the things that my Christian faith did with me was that I got involved in the work of social justice and peace. Um, Because that, to me, seemed like the central message of trying to live the gospel of Jesus. And by being involved in social justice and peace, I became aware of feminism, and that was what happened for me first, was noticing the ways in which the church was um, making women not equal. 
Right. I think I always believed that women and men were equal. So it was like this light going on of, oh, you know what? We're not treated equally. Yes. And it's amazing to look back and see how I just took for granted the way things were. But so that was really the life-transforming thing for me, was to realize that we hadn't been treated equally and that, in fact, in the core of our being, we were equal. Yes. And yet women were trained, I was trained anyway, to organize my life around a man. Mm-hmm. And I had an object lesson because here I was with this male partner and I saw all the patterns between my parents and showing up in our relationship. You know, So that was the first transformation for me, was being able to affirm myself as a woman. So you could feel live the pull to be in service to him while at the same time knowing that wasn't quite right. I mean, you could feel the tension inside yourself. Yeah. 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 It's it's a complicated feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm in my 50s, you know, so I think so much has happened that there's a very contextual in terms of when someone goes through this process. But um, once I opened up that channel of being open to myself as a woman, and also I began to meet lesbian women, I began to feel that pull. Mm-hmm. And it took me a really long time, about five years, to wrestle with that, to come out. I think more because of the relationship that I was in than because right. of a sense of guilt or shame. Because by then, there was something really marvelous happening because women were together really affirming what it meant to be women. Uh-huh. I see. So for it's like for adolescents who are coming out, there's such a struggle with guilt or shame. But for you, that wasn't the key struggle. Right. It was more that At you that loved time. somebody who was a man, and this this decision this would hurt him. Right. This discovery. Right. Right. And was he part of your process of discernment at all, or did you have to sort of did you wait until um, you really knew, or how did you? We were becoming feminists together. Uh huh. So he was on the journey with you. Yes, and he uh-huh. was very supportive of that struggle, as much as he could be. Right. Because it meant there was implicit loss for him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that for women of my generation, there's more, it's more common to have had a marriage or, you know, a significant relationship with a man because women are so programmed to just do those things. Yes. That you don't think, uh, you don't think about it. And, And then realizing that there were choices and that there might be something deeper inside of me that was yearning to go in a different direction. Yes. You know, it took a long time to know that. It's a very powerful thing, isn't it? Today's young people, because it's more visible, come to those awarenesses younger. Right, Because and that's hopeful. That is (laughs) hopeful. It seems to me. (laughs) That's good news. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it suggests that there's a way that we as women, straight and gay women and bisexual women alike, there's so much socialization to fall into a certain pattern. There's so many assumptions about what I'm supposed to do. Right. Yeah, that we don't know very much about listening to ourselves inside about what we really want. Right. Or imagining that that could be actually okay to follow. Right. If it broke a lot of rules. Yeah. And, you know, coming around to the question of God. Yes. So, So then there's that sense of, can God live inside of me? You know, like, is who I am something that I can trust? Right. And as so, a woman and as, as a, a lesbian woman. As a woman and as a lesbian. 
because you have to make a choice that goes against what your surroundings are mostly telling you, or at least I did. And did you have to answer that question sequentially? Like for you, did you have to know the answer was yes for yourself as a woman first before you could get to that idea that God could live inside you as a lesbian woman? For me, that's how it happened. Yeah, it makes sense Or it sense was almost me. simultaneous, though, because once, once I really understood that God was in me as a woman, then it opened everything up. So what helped you... What helped you realize that? Because I think that's a huge sh- transformational moment. But how did it happen? What, what made that possible for you to really get that in a deep way? I would say it was the community of women who were doing this together. Mm-hmm. You know, so recreating that sense of what is God even. You know, if, if the image of God has always been male and we're saying that's wrong... You know, there were some powerful feminist theologians who were doing groundbreaking work. Mary Daly, mm-hmm. I think of, you know, who was a, um, just pointing out the oppression. And, and if you look at Jesus in the Bible, he's not talking about oppression. He's talking about love right? and a kind of radical equality. You know, there's a line in Paul, in Christ there is no male or female. Like, I always believed that. Uh-huh. And and I think I also grew up with a very mystical father. And so there was a certain sense that God is very real and God is beyond gender. So those are some of my early things that were there that, that planted sort of those supported seeds. You. I remember viscerally the moment that I was in an Episcopal church with a woman priest and watching her celebrate communion. And this was before I even had begun to think about these questions and just weeping, sitting in the church and just not being able to stop crying at how powerful it was to see her up there doing that. Yeah. Not realizing how powerful all the years of seeing a man do it had affected me as a girl. Right. Yeah, it's very powerful. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. And this is Safe Space. We're talking about being gay, lesbian, or bisexual and religion and the impact of that. So what I'm hearing is that you really got a sense that it could be sacred to be a lesbian woman. And then how did you go from there to becoming an ordained lesbian minister? Um, When I first came out, I was um, not connected to any church but I was in the context of the feminist spirituality movement where women were gathering and saying, what does spirituality, what does religion look like if women are the central, like if our lives are the our our own lives are the center of our lives. In other words, Mm -hmm. that we're not learning from some other person how to have a relationship with the divine, but we're letting that come from within ourselves. And trusting that. And so that's where it started. And then, um, and in a community of women doing that. And when I was living in Boston, I, um, before all of this, I went to divinity school because I was always interested Uh in spirituality. So I went to divinity school at Chicago Theological Seminary, and I went to Episcopal Divinity School to study feminist liberation theology. So there's a whole intellectual growth Mm -hmm. that was happening. But I, when I came to Boston, I encountered Unitarian Universalism, and it was a faith in which you could be a minister without being a Christian. It's a faith that's an interfaith kind of faith. So you mm-hmm. could be, uh, you could follow earth-based spiritualities. They had a strong commitment to feminism. And so all of those kinds of things, there was actually room for someone like me 
to be an ordained minister. And, you know, and it came at a time in my life when certain other things were ending, mm-hmm. and I had to kind of take a look at my life, and I'd been invited to speak. The very first time I entered a UU church was to be the speaker. Oh. And the very last time that I left the Catholic church was because there was no room for my voice. So it was oh, a very so profound kind of contrast. transition. Yeah. And and so I, at that point, and I looked at my resume, and I had a, a Master of Divinity degree and a Doctor of Ministry degree. It's like, <laughs> mm, <Mike. laughs> I think I should be a minister. <laughs> but I just hadn't, hadn't had a denomination in which I could do that work. And right. so it, it became, you know, and so I explored it and talked with Unitarian Universalist ministers and started attending a UU church and felt like it was a home in which I could do that kind of spiritual leadership. Mm-hmm. And the, where the fact that you were a lesbian minister was sort of a non-issue. It was sort of a non-issue. It's it's an issue in the sense that for some people they have to stretch to be able to see themselves in a minister who's a woman or who's a lesbian. Yes. Um, but in my current church, it was really a non-issue, right. I have to say. Um, so isn't that wonderful that that really wasn't part of the struggle because we hear so much about de- entire denominations that are split over this issue. I mean, right. And that struggle happened in Unitarian Universalism before my time. Oh, it did? You know, earlier than in other faiths. Oh, I didn't know the Unitarians had ever struggled with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for women, too. I see. So yeah. you had come in with that work already having taken place. We're going to take a short musical break. We'll be right back with Reverend Mike talking about being gay and religion. Coming back with Safe Space, my guest is Reverend Mike Johnson, and we're talking about uh, being gay in Maine and the connection, how, how religion plays into that. I want to shift us now to talking a little bit about about marriage and the recent law that's uh, made marriage available to gay and lesbian people. And um, to ask you to start out by just asking, what makes marriage important? Why, why is this important? I think marriage is important because it's um, a recognition of equality. For me, that's why it's important. Um, it's it's a way of, you know, if, if I notice the way that people argue against it, it's touching a nerve, and I think that that nerve says something about how we define sacredness. You know, I've heard someone say, well, having same-sex couples marry would demean the institution of marriage. And I think about how, you know, that says something, you know. Oh, what does it say? I mean, know. I have my own ideas, but what do you think that says? I think it says that um, that there's a deep sense that gay, lesbian, and bisexual people are not worthy of yeah, grace. Or that they're, they're doing not something obscene. 
are and and I think that you know the traditional view is that this is a sin. Yes. And and so for me, the marriage issue is important because it's saying that there is sacredness in love. That it's not about the gender of the partners; it's about the quality of the loving that exists between people. Right. You know, I think there's a fear sometimes on the other side that, well, you know, if we break that rule, suddenly all these walls are going to come tumbling down and chaos will result. But from my perspective, we're calling ourselves to a higher ethical standard. We're saying that the relationship, how we are in the relationship matters, just not whether we have a ring on our finger. You know, so there's a, for me, there's a deep spiritual part to it. And the the legal part has to do with not excluding same-sex families from all the legal protections that go along with being married. And what did you tell me what some of those are? Oh, there's like a thousand of them. But right, like, but I think straight married people take them for so <laughs> for granted. They're in, they're almost invisible. Um, one example would be being able to get health care coverage on a company policy. Mm-hmm. You know that that until we have single payer <laughs> universal health care. That how we get it is through families and through, right, and through companies. Um, a lot of people that I know who want to get married, it has to do with being able to care for each other as they get older. You know, when I was younger, I didn't care so much about things like that. But, right. um, you know, the way our inheritance laws work, if people own a house together and they're married and one of them dies, the other gets the house with no taxes. If they're not married, they have to pay taxes on the house as if there oh. was no relationship. Oh, so that's a very significant so, monetary reason. Exactly. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's um, rights about access to children, and there's, it's important for children, too, I understand. Right. You know, in, in terms of um, having a legal relationship between the members who are functioning as a family, you yeah. know, who are a family, they're sharing their economic lives, their social lives, their emotional lives, their spiritual lives. Yes. And yet are legal strangers. Um, and there's only so much you can do, you know, with lawyers and, you know, people will say, well, you can do that. And you can, and most couples that I know have done as much as they can for a great cost again. Right. But you can't Things that do just everything. come with the signing of a paper if you get yeah. married. But yeah. I think, you know, going back to that religious question, um, it's a way of saying, yes, we are worthy. Our love is holy. You know, that this right. love... Um, is not some bizarre, like, people are people. I mean, sometimes I'm just amazed that anyone is frightened or concerned about gay and lesbian and bisexual people. I mean, they're the sweetest people I know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, I think even when we use the word homosexuality, there's a way that it takes it out of human beings that we know and relate to every day to some abstract, threatening concept. Right. And then people start getting afraid. But, right, when we talk about real people that you know, it becomes much less threatening. Right. Yeah. I also want to talk about the idea that it has to do with equality within marriage. It really interests me because, you know, I've heard you talk about this, and I'd love it if you could share that again about what it means to the historical legacy of marriage, which was legally anyway, a marriage between people who were not equal. Correct. Right. And that even a hundred years ago, yeah, so the woman lost this. her legal personhood when she got married to a man. So then all of her property became his property. 
And so that's, you know, that's just a few generations ago. And I think one of the things that's a little threatening about same-sex marriage is that it really erases any kind of division of roles other than what's what the couple works out. So there's no, you know, like in the old um, wives obey your husbands, that that doesn't happen when you have an, right. two wives Who's or two obey? husbands. Right. right. Both of our mothers probably promised to obey, I'm guessing. Right. 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 It's really a different model. Right. And yet, you know, the biggest change that happened was when marriage became for, became um, a way of expressing romantic love. Because mm-hmm. for many cultures and for earlier in history, it was an arrangement. And, and it was about practicality. Right. Yeah. So once people could choose someone they loved, then you open up the door to say, oh, but I love another woman. Or, right. You know, a man loves another man. And I think that that's, that is a little bit scary because then it puts it on us to create a relationship. It puts it on us to treat each other with respect, to work out things that are conflicts. You know, it's that how do we create a good relationship that can't resort to I'm in charge, you do what I say. Right. It's a whole different form of conflict resolution. Right. That perhaps is more challenging, but ultimately far more satisfying. <laughs> right. So it's like a partnership model. Right. I've also and heard... That's a, that's a very feminist concept as well. You know, yes. To say that, yes, women are valuable, and we're not just here to serve men. We're here to be partners with men, or we're here to be partners with each other. Yes. I also heard a very uh, sort of disturbing take on it, which was that um, one of the oppositions to... Um, marriage becoming legally available to everybody was the idea that two men together, that one man would sort of assume the one down role, at least concretely sexually, that if a man was the receptive partner, that he would be sort of putting himself one down, which would seem like a very misogynist view that somehow the receptive partner is is always one down, which, which seemed, uh, I had never thought of that, but somebody recently told me that, and I was very disturbed and it made me think how deeply our ideas that marriage is about an inequality mm. are very ingrained. Um, when it shows the links between homophobia and misogyny. Absolutely. You know. Powerfully. And, and really, and that's where I say coming back to, to marriage for same-sex couples, it's an equality issue. And it's about equality between couples, I mean, between partners in a marriage, and it's about equality among people in society both. So it's a part of that movement toward equality and democracy, really. Yes. So we have only about five minutes left, but I want to ask you, for people who are religious and who aren't sure about where they stand on this, or who get messages from their church that are, are homophobic, what, do you, what is your answer to, the, to some of their concerns? How do you understand that? And as a minister, what what kind of using your authority as a minister? What do you have to say to that kind of homophobia within the church? Hmm. One of the things that I think happens for people is that there's a cer- there's a way of being in society where we're trying to follow a list of rules, and if something happens in your life that creates a disconnect with those rules. Like when I was a kid, we learned that 
Catholics were the only religion to be and everyone else. And if you didn't go to church on Sunday, you would go to hell. But my grandfather was a non-practicing Lutheran, and he was really sweet and kind. So that put a little disconnect in my brain. I don't think he's going to hell. You know, and I think that that sense of um, can we trust our own experience? And, And for some people, the answer is no, you know, that it's more comfortable to be in a context where leaders, where you decide to follow the authority of uh, leaders in your church. Um, There are many churches that are struggling with this issue right now because it is a new issue. Um, For me, you know, I look at the central message of the Bible, and I would say whether Old Testament or New Testament, and it's about um, the activity of the divine on behalf of those who are oppressed or poor or the marginalized. You know, Jesus hung out with the people nobody else would hang out with. And so there's this... Right, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, which right. were pretty much the most shunned of anyone. Right. So yeah. there's this thread So we could add gay through. people to that list. <laughs> there was this thread going through the Bible, you know, all the way from freeing the Hebrew slaves, mm. that, you know, that, that God is somehow on the side of the underdog. Right. And, and there's also this thread about love being the strong, strongest um, message. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that are culturally specific to their own time. And I think it's easy to kind of pull those out and say, oh, we have to follow that, or oh, we have to follow that. You know, I like to joke that it also says you shouldn't eat lobster. Does it? It's in the, in the same <laughs> list, you know. Oh, as, really? <laughs> don't be homosexual. So in Maine, you know. <laughs> you know, so, so I think it's a matter of saying, that. what's the central theme of the Bible? What's the central theme that religions teach us about? And how do we align our lives with that and take the risk to step out of some of those rules into that sense of having an alive relationship with the Spirit that can lead us into a new path. Thank you. That seems like a pretty well summed up <laughs> alternative. So I feel it's a spiritual calling to be a lesbian. There you personally. go. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate hearing you about that. Um, the last question I want to just end with is for people who are struggling to affirm the sacredness of their identity as lesbians or as gay people or bisexual, is there anything that you feel you could? Is there anything that you can say to that that would be helpful? Do you think for someone who feels just doubting their own sacredness, is this is this good? Can I affirm it? It's one of the things I love about being a lesbian minister, because I want to be that figure that you know tugs at somebody's heart. They say, oh, okay, there can be a minister that's a lesbian. You know, what's that about? And I think yeah. it's so important to have a community that supports you, you know, right. where you have that voice or that mirror saying back, you are loved by God. On that note, if someone wants to contact you or, or learn more about Allen Avenue Unitarian Universalist Church, how can they contact you? How can they learn more about it? Um, we have a website, www dot a2u2.org great and if they wanted to learn more about the religious coalition how could they find that they can also check out the religious coalition website which is um, religiouscoalition.org and then that will also link you into the organizations that are working to make sure that we keep that law that makes same-sex marriage legal wonderful mike it's been reverend mike it's been a pleasure to have you thanks for coming to safe space
Thank you. It's been great. My thanks, too, to Jen Hodston for the sound and Maurice Lennon for the music. If you have an idea or a suggestion for a topic that you'd like to hear on Safe Space, please feel free to contact me at drannwmpg.org. That's dr.annewmpg.org. Next week, I'll be talking with Dr. Marshall Forstein about coming out and the micro-traumatizations of homophobia. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.